Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where we have in-depth discussions about legal careers, including the challenges that attorneys face in the day-to-day and some observations and advice aimed at helping attorneys move forward in their career. I'm here with Harrison Barnes, founder and CEO of VCG Attorney Search, a legal recruiting company. I'm Bree Mills. I work with Harrison, and I'm the recruiting manager for VCG. Today, Harrison and I will be discussing one of his recent articles titled, What to Do if You Are a Law Firm Partner Without Business. This, I'm sure, is a subject of great consternation to many practicing attorneys, so we're going to talk about various ways to navigate this sticky situation, and this is all with the aim of uncovering some strategies to keep your career moving forward, even if you're in a position where you're struggling to bring in portable business. So, Harrison, to start us off, what do you think is the biggest hurdle for attorneys trying to bring in portable business? Why is it so hard? Well, I think a lot of attorneys end up, uh, you know, more focused on practicing law, and uh, because they're comfortable doing that, uh, they spend all of their time, um, you know, working on that and not out kind of in the market trying to generate business. Uh, another thing that I think, uh, you know, makes it a little difficult for a lot of attorneys is, you know, when an attorney is in a role where they're doing work for other people, like, you know, people that are senior to them or people that have work, their role is kind of to be a soldier and not necessarily to be out there, um, you know, tooting their own horn and uh, drawing attention to themselves. And so people become trained in being soldiers, um, get comfortable in, uh, you know, doing work uh, for others. And a lot of times just the pressure to bill so many hours and getting caught up in work really puts them in a situation where um, they don't have the ability to go out and meet people and do the sort of things um, that would be necessary to generate work. Yeah, I think that's a big concern. There's so much pressure on the billing that uh, you really just don't have the time to do the to do the business development you need, and I think often don't get the resources you need from the firm. And there's competing concerns <clears throat> from the firm. I mean, of course, they want you to be a big generating business, but they've got work that you need to actually do to get the money in the door. So, so I think in your article you walk us through several options. Walk through several options for attorneys who do find themselves struggling to generate business. And I think it'd be really useful to kind of walk through some of these ideas and um, discuss the benefits and pitfalls to some of these strategies. So I've kind of um, taken your article. I've broken it down into some um, larger categories of strategies. So I think the first category I'd like to explore is basically steps to take inside your current firm. So what I sort of saw these as is some strategies to employ if you want to stay with your current firm, but are having some trouble landing clients and generating business. So for example, one, one thing you suggest is to become a subject matter expert. So tell us a little bit about what that, that means. Well, that beca- means becoming kind of the go-to person for, you know, something. And one thing I wanted to mention earlier too, that, um, you know, when we talked about some of the reasons it's difficult to generate business, in a lot of cases, it's not difficult to generate business. It may be difficult to generate the kind of business that the law firm, you know, is interested in, which means, you know, if you're at some major law firms, I mean, they're going to want, you know, large institutional clients and, um, you know, that are willing to spend a lot of money and not be a lot of hassle. Um, so that makes it kind of difficult um, as well if you're in, you know, to generate business because a lot of firms won't even allow you to bring in smaller clients. But Becoming a subject matter expert basically means, uh, you know, that you're able to be um, kind of the go-to person in a firm that understands uh, something uh, that better than 
other people inside the firm um, or has a reputation for being very, very good at something. So, you know, it could be, um, you know, a certain aspect of a transaction or it could be, um, you know, certain way you relate to clients, um, just some sort of personality or um, work skill um, that you have, uh, you know, is always going to be, you know, something that can help you stand apart. Because you want to be in a position where, you know, the law firm uh, thinks very, very highly of you and uh, partners inside of the law firm that are giving work out to others and also associates, uh, you know, feel that if that kind of issue comes up, that you're the person to kind of logically give that to. Right. I think that's, um, yeah, always finding a niche is a way to become indispensable for sure. So uh, another way that you, uh, another thing you line up here is to kind of cozy up to a powerful partner with a long, with a large book and become indispensable, which I assume kind of uh, dovetails a little bit with just being the, the best in that subject matter and being the partner, the person the partner comes to in that sense. But what are some of the ways, you kind of go through some of the ways to become indispensable to a partner and how to kind of cozy up to that partner. Talk about, about that a little bit. Well, so the big thing in every firm, like, you know, once you, um, you know, the, the certain partners will like work done a certain way and they'll want to, you know, believe that if they give you a matter that you will um, instinctively understand, you know, um, how much work to do on the matter, that you'll hand back the work in a way where, uh, they don't need to give it a lot of thought and, and put a lot more into it and um, and where they can hand something off to you and know that this can be done correctly. And that takes a long time to groom people to do that. So, um, you know, once you get into a position where you're doing that and the partner is kind of coasting and able to make a lot of money off their clients and good work is being able to be produced, and that's a, a very good position to be in. And that partner is going to want to keep you around because they don't want to have to go through um, the process of training someone else to be very good at um, that and then also um, someone they can trust. And, you know, when you're working for someone um, that has business and is more powerful than you, I mean, there's certain rules you want to follow. I mean, you want to make that person feel important. Uh, you want to make that person feel like you have their back. Uh, you want to make that person feel like you're loyal um, and you're not going to speak negatively of them. That you're going to defend them, and then you're also going to bring them, uh, you know, information um, that may be um, detrimental to them. So, you know, if someone believes it, that you're that person, they're going to be very, very loyal to you. And in most instances, you know, when someone is making partner, um, you know, in a large law firm, what tends to happen is they need sponsors. And, you know, often, you know, one powerful partner with a lot of business as a sponsor is enough because, the law firm knows that if that person sponsors you, um, that they're going to be giving you um, enough work to keep you busy um, and that you'll be profitable and um, and they'll keep that person happy and that person will be likely to stick around. Because if a partner is very close to uh, a junior partner, for example, that's doing all their work for them, uh, you know, they're more likely to stay in the firm and not move if that um, you know, junior partner is happy, because a lot of times if a junior partner doesn't have any work, they'll have a difficult time moving to a new firm. So um, those are just some of the kind of the things I think that are important. Yeah, and, and I think you also mentioned there's there's some sort of caveats to this, which I think you, you kind of mentioned different practice areas where the strategy works well and other practice areas where it doesn't. So what are some examples, I think, of practice areas where 
this really is very works well as a process and some where you could still find yourself in trouble. Well, in, in most cases, if uh, the partner's in a transactional practice area, um, that can typically work very well because a lot of times, you know, for example, corporate transactional work or, um, you know, or intellectual property or real estate, like a lot of that type of work tends to repeat itself. And, um, and there's always going to be a need for people to, you know, kind of do um, a lot of the grunt work and, um, you know, stay busy doing that. Uh, in contrast, um, you know, when there's, um, you know, litigation, litigation can be very risky because, you know, a lot of times a partner will get, you know, a big case and they'll work on that case and it could go on like three to five years and then the case will settle. And then after that case settles, they may not have any work. And so um, because the kind of business that a lot of litigators do in large law firms tends to revolve around um, large cases, uh, you know, if that case goes away, then all the work goes away. So that can be fairly dangerous, um, you know, um, you know, especially, um, you know, if you're relying on a partner for that type of work. And at the, the same time, I mean, there are certain litigators that have such good reputations that they're able to constantly, you know, bring in work. And so, um, you know, it's not as much a risk, but I've seen litigation uh, be a huge risk. Um, you know, the example I think I made in the article was intellectual property litigation. Um, lots of people were very busy doing that for years. And, you know, for a bunch of reasons, um, you know, a lot of that work has gone away. So, you know, young partners that came, came up through the ranks, um, you know, doing intellectual property litigation for other powerful or, you know, more powerful partners that had a lot of work, um, you know, now don't have any work. Right. And I think another risk of this that you mentioned is the potential that that partner gets poached, that partner with a lot of work, if there's a lot of competition and a lot of poaching going on in big firms in particular right now, the whole practice groups being poached to another firm. And so if you lose that partner, um, you know, hopefully he could bring you with you, he can bring him with you, but potentially that's an issue too. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, so one of the conversations that, that most often happens is, um, you know, that, Anytime a partner has a lot of business um, and, and is bringing in a lot of money, um, at some point, not all firms, but a lot of firms will start taking uh, that partner and um, their work for granted. And uh, so, you know, and people will get on uh, management committees and so forth um, and start making decisions about how to, do, you know, divide up the money that's coming in. So the classic example is, you know, someone comes over to a new firm and you know they're guaranteed a certain amount of money for the first couple of years where they you know believe they're going to get a certain amount of money and then when their you know agreement comes up for renewal or you know or, or whatever um they decide that they're going to change uh their compensation and they lower it and it even though in some cases the book of business may have gone up and so then that partner um where that happens with the book of business um will start uh you know being a little upset and decide they're going to look around. And then when they leave, uh, the firms they're talking to will only be interested in them and not necessarily um, others without business. And they'll explain that they have their own senior associates and so forth. And that partner will start thinking of their own self-interest and, you know, money and their compensation may be a, have been cut by hundreds of thousands of dollars and they'll go alone and won't take people with them. And so that's kind of the classic thing. So, that's the real danger. Unless you're, you know, unless you're tied to a partner, uh, 
um, you know, with a, a huge book of business, meaning, you know, um, you know, when I say huge, I mean five, you know, five million dollars isn't even really considered huge these days. But I mean, five million dollars or more, um, you know, and you're close to them, then that that can get people's attention. But if not, then not. So, um, you know, the partner you're moving or that you're close to should have a, a, a giant book of business, which is why, you know, I always advise people that don't have books of business to get very close to people that have, you know, major, major books of business. Right. Um, so there, you had some other creative ideas I hadn't thought about before, which is kind of working the more bureaucratic channels inside the firm. So, for example, you suggest like getting on committees. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about have you seen that work and what kind of what exactly are some examples of that? Right. So one of the classic ways, you know, um, you know, of, of people kind of protecting their jobs inside of law firms is to get on, um, you know, various committees. And a lot of times committees are fairly easy to get on because, um, you know, most partners a lot of times without business don't want to be on them and um, because they'd rather, you know, be out, you know, growing their book of business or doing work on behalf of clients. So when you get on committees, if the committees are in charge of things like compensation, um, you know, and, and other related, you know, kind of topics, then, um, you know, then it's very easy to kind of protect your job um, on, on those committees. And um, and then it's always also very easy when they're talking about different roles and stuff for people inside the law firm to put yourself in, you know, in, in situations where um, it's going to be very, very difficult for um, you to, um, you know, lose your job. So, you know, it's not easy for the law firm, for example, to hire, you know, the, or fire the partner that's in charge of the summer program because that's going to look very bad to the, um, you know, the incoming, um, you know, associates and ones that may have, you know, worked with that partner. And it's it's not easy for, um, you know, and, you know, if you're on committees, you're going to get, you know, a heads up a lot of the time about things that may end up affecting your career. So that is always a good way to kind of protect yourself. Yeah, so so committees inside the firm and um, some mentorship roles, in addition to something you had mentioned, and like OCI and summer programs, just being an integral part of the machine um, that gets the new lawyers in um, to protect you as an old lawyer from getting kicked out. So it's an interesting, interesting idea for sure. And another interesting idea I thought you had was um, moving to another office of your same firm, which is potentially moving to an office where they do more of that work. For example, I know oftentimes, you know, there's, there'll be a firm that has its associates doing corporate work in Los Angeles, but that's all being sourced out of New York or something like that. So maybe actually moving to that New York office might be a better way to make sure you're front of mind and stay, stay relevant. Yeah, I mean, moving offices is always a great idea. I mean, uh, you know, litigators a lot of times can stay very busy. Um, I knew like some litigators in LA that were very slow, um, and in New York during uh, the you know kind of the financial crisis, or uh, you know a couple years after the financial crisis, uh, this mortgage-backed uh, litigation or securities litigation started getting very very active. And so, you know, partners that were slow in uh, Los Angeles and you know firms that had offices in New York were able to move there and. Um, become very, very busy and stay busy and um, be profitable for the firm. And, you know, so anytime you can, uh, you know, switch offices, if, you know, if there's work going on at another office where they have more than they can do, you know, you can protect yourself a lot of times by switching offices. And that's always a smart thing to do, especially when there's, 
you know, litigation or, you know, transactional related work that's happening in another office. The problem is, is, you know, even in some of the, you know, I mean, and especially in large firms, actually, um, you know, offices aren't, you know, the, the firm will have offices, but they kind of operate as their own, you know, profit centers. A lot of times they even have their own individual cultures and, you know, so it, it's not as easy as it may seem, but, you know, it, it definitely um, is a good idea. Yeah, so I think those are the sort of the points I took away as things you can do in your current firm without having to make a move that might just kind of help protect you and get you, um, you know, a continuous flow of work and keep your job a little bit more secure inside your current firm. Um, so some of the other options in this, I'll call this next bucket of, of uh, strategies uh, involve moving your career forward by actually leaving your current firm for really any number of ventures including moving to different firms or starting your own business. So, for example, you suggest one, one possibility is move to a small growing firm. Right. So, um, yeah, and so, I mean, small growing firms are always a good idea. So small growing firms, um, you know, a lot of times are, are started by, uh, and there's different types of people that start them, um, but they typically are started by, you know, middle-aged attorneys, um, meaning, you know, or, you know, 35, you know, or, you know, 40, um, you know, that are, um, that have business that are very, very hungry and aggressive and um, starting firms, or they're started by, you know, younger people even, I mean, sometimes in their late 20s or early 30s. But um, regardless, when those people start firms, uh, a lot of times, you know, they, um, they don't have the, um, the brand, uh, and they don't have um, to, to, to draw um, you know, big name talent to them, um, or you know, partners from with have business would never go there because they don't have um, a large enough footprint. But these, um, you know, young partner, you know, young attorneys are able to, um, you know, carve out um, a niche for them and, and a, a growing practice by, um, you know, portraying to the market that they do things more efficiently, or they're harder workers, or have better qualified attorneys working there. And in many cases, you know, some of these young attorneys are able to generate huge books of business. I mean, I know of one guy in L.A. that I mean, I think um, left um, a big law firm, uh, you know, and was able, you know, had within a couple of years of like a $35 million book of business. So, you know, his position was, I mean, he needed lots and lots of bodies around him to do the work, but he also needed to make them look like they were important bodies. And he also needed um, people at the partner level to do the work because he couldn't possibly um, have, um, you know, people that he was calling associates and counsel doing, you know, $35 million worth of work. So he brought in, you know, partners from uh, large law firms that didn't have any work um, to, to do the work for him, and, um, and they did very well. I mean, they, you know, a lot of them made more money than they were making, you know, at their previous firm. So... You know, so that could be a, a great strategy, and those types of firms are popping up all the time in major cities um, because, you know, anytime someone's not happy with their compensation or feels like, you know, the, the law firm model is not working for them, they'll start their own model and say they're different, um, and they will be different for a while, and then they become just like every other law firm. But, um, you know, that's a good way um, to, for people to get ahead in their careers, definitely. Right, and... Uh, so kind of related to kind of just dumping out of the, the big law firm into a smaller law firm would be just going solo yourself, which I find to be an interesting suggestion. I mean, certainly, you know, going solo, you can generate 
you can bring in those smaller clients, like you had mentioned before, who didn't uh, have any place in the big firm. But once you actually go solo, you now have the ability to actually service those clients. Um, so tell me a little bit more about kind of the going solo options. Well, going solo can be, um, you know, a very interesting idea. Uh, you know, and attorneys, uh, you know, the going to solo practice. I mean, a lot of them have, you know, very, very um, good careers and even start uh, successful law firms. Um, the biggest problem that um, you know solo attorneys find, and and you know, is that, you know, whereas when you're in a law firm and you're just getting paid every couple of weeks, um, you know, you're doing work for large companies that are to pay their bills and um, and everything seems to work. Um, you know, when you're in a, a solo practice, it becomes very very difficult a lot of times to um, to to, to co constantly um, collect from clients and to get paid. So that's one of the the big issues. And you know, you're suddenly you know with the solo practice a lot of times thrown in, um, you know, trying to get paid by smaller clients. So you know, there's different ways that you can start a solo practice. Uh, a lot of times. You know, if you have one or two clients, you can take them with you. Um, you know, I was, um, you know, at one point when I was practicing law, I thought about um, starting a solo practice because it seemed like almost like a no-brainer. Uh, I was doing, uh, you know, work for a lot of these, um, and this is back like in the late 90s, but there were all these companies that were starting in San Francisco, and I got an in with, um, you know, a friend of mine that, uh owned a design company and he was doing work for all these venture back companies and um you know when they were starting their branding so he started like referring them to me and I started doing all this work and you know and I was like a third year associate and was bringing in you know for the firm like you know over $300,000 a year in work and they didn't really um these companies um you know were young kids in a lot of cases and they didn't care who was doing the work they just needed the work done and so from my standpoint, it seemed like a no-brainer. I could go and, uh, you know, start my own practice and start doing, um, you know, work for those companies, and it would have made a lot more money than I was, you know, practicing law. Um, you know, of course, all that work, you know, there was a what called dot-com dot bust, which happened in 2000, where all that work would have disappeared, and I would have been completely without anything to do, um, and it would have been a horrible move. But, um, you know, it, the, the point is, is that, you know, there's, you know, if you have existing work that you're doing, um, you know, and you feel like you can start your own practice, the odds are, you know, you can make a lot more money um, doing that if you can keep your clients happy um, than you can doing it on your own. And, you know, there's all these practice areas, too, that can be very, very lucrative. I mean, plaintiff's work can be lucrative. Um, you know, family law can be very lucrative. Um, you know, these family law attorneys can make a lot of money. Um, you know, um, corporate attorneys can do well um, advising small companies. Um, you know, but the the point is, you know, it's uh, you know, if you feel like you have people that are constantly going to be giving you work, you can do well as a solo practitioner, and um, many attorneys do. Um, we also have, you know, um, there's there's also these days a lot of these virtual law firms that will do like a lot of the management stuff for you in terms of, you know, collecting the money you're owed and, um, you know. Um, you know, helping you, um, you know, kind of establish yourself as a solo practitioner and then allowing you to refer work to others. So it's an option. I mean, people do um, start solo practices, and then a lot of times they, you know, can expand them. But there's a difference between, you know, people that, you know, run businesses a lot of times and work in them, you know, and so, you know, many solo practitioners uh, don't do well um, as solo practitioners. And, 
um, and have problems um, in the long run, but others do. You know, so it can be very it can be very profitable. Yeah, I think you definitely have to have the right personality. Um, but one benefit I think too that working in a larger firm and obviously being respected enough in that your work is high quality, that you're a partner in that firm. Once right. you leave and you have a solo shop and you're able to have you know, these lower rates and take on these smaller types of matters, then, you know, I, I remember when I was <clears throat> working at, at a big firm that you get those emails all the time, like, does anybody know uh, an attorney who does this kind of work? And it's like a matter right. that the firm obviously can't take on. But, you know, that's if you're in top of mind with people in your firm, like, oh, yeah, didn't Joe Schmo go and start his own firm and does that kind of work? Then, you know, you if you maintain that relationship with the firm, it's, um, and you can kind of get referrals that way too, which is using that network yep. of being in the big firm. So I know my, my husband has just started a new firm and oh, that's he's, right. he's actually, yeah. And so he's doing quite well um, with that type of referral business um, uh -huh. that he gets from, from his old, his old firm. So, you know, depending on your personality type, I mean, it is a big leap. It takes a lot of courage, but uh, yep. I think it can definitely pay off and make, make a, make for somewhat of a, better quality of life in some instances depending on how you do it but um yeah there's that's an interesting option for sure uh and is he course, um, happier all, since he moved as well oh yeah i mean absolutely you know he's his own boss and i mean the other thing too i mean partners maybe this isn't as much of an issue but um you know just having complete autonomy and authority over the case and the strategy and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not being micromanaged and not having a lot of yep things imposed upon you so yeah he's, he's really enjoying it um, that's good i mean i think yeah for some people i mean they they definitely um that that's something that they like a lot more definitely yeah um and something else people might like a lot more um potentially is going in-house we've spoken about that um at length in a previous episode but uh talk a little about the option of going in-house well, so in, going in-house tends to be, you know, where, you know, all of the, you know, if you don't have business, you know, we're, we're kind of all the, you know, angst and everything about potentially leaving the practice of law, um, you know, um, you know, in the, the idea that there's going to be a relief um, goes. And so, you know, people that um, always turn to in-house, and that's one of the reasons, like, I, list, I listed it first. Um, you know, they believe that if they go in-house, um you know, they can work for one client, uh, you know, that um, there's not going to be the pressure of billable hours, that, um, you know, they're not going to have to worry about, um, you know, generating business and kind of all the negative things, um, you know, and there's not going to be sort of this up or out type of thing. So all the, you know, positives about, you know, what it's like, um, you know, um, you know what in-house represents are, are kind of, you know, put on that. And, um, you know, and it becomes something that the attorneys kind of aspire to. Um, the problem is, is uh, you know, it's not always what it represents. Right. So going in-house, I think you, you have said before and say in this article again, like working in a smaller, stable, private kind of family-owned company um, might be a better option than kind of going into the, a new machine of a large company with a huge, um, you know, legal department or right. what are so, some other considerations of picking the right kind of uh, place to go in-house? Right. Well, the first thing is, I mean, just I wanted to, you know, just re real briefly just say what the problems are. I mean, the problems are, 
you know, once you go in house, um, you know, you're you're a cost center, and uh, you know, and and so you're not in a law firm. You know, if you bill hours, you're generating revenue, and your your goal as a partner. I mean, even if you don't have business, I mean, your your goal obviously is to is always to bill as many hours as possible. Um, because then you're not then you're profitable. But inside of a you know a company, you're always going to be a cost center. So, you know, as a cost center, you know you have to definitely you know generate value. And law firms um, are you know less likely to lay you off if they realize you're or let you go if they realize you're profitable than a company because a company just kind of sees you sitting there and they don't always understand what you're doing. And the other thing that's difficult about companies is, you know, companies go out of business all the time, I and mean, much more so than, you know, decent-sized law firms. I mean, they're just, you know, the, 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 the cost to run a law firm is, is essentially, you know, someone sitting at a desk, and, you know, and, um, and then the money comes in, you know, based on the work that the attorney does. And um, But it's there's not a lot of overhead other than office space and, you know, salaries and that sort of thing, um, which are substantial, but not if they're offset by billable hours. And companies, in contrast, I mean, you know, go through, you know, huge problems all the time. They, you know, and massive layoffs and, you know, scaling up and scaling down and um, different types of businesses become obsolete. And, um, you know, the the whole law firm model has been around for hundreds of years, And but companies are, are much different. I mean, they're always changing. And, you know, CEOs are changing, and legal departments are changing, and you know, general counsels are changing, and um, so anytime there's those, um, you know, challenges, I mean, it beca- it, the, the the company can be very, very unstable, and this is especially so um, with large companies. I mean, large companies, you know, um, you know, are, are going out of business all the time. I mean, you have Kodak, you have, you know, um, you know, issues with General Electric now. I mean, it's just all over. Um, you know the the, com- the companies that we used to think were the most stable, you know, have problems. I mean, you know, General Motors went bankrupt. I mean, there's just constant, you know, churning in, inside of companies. So, um, you know, one of the things I like um, about, uh, you know, small companies is a, is a small family-owned company, or, you know, when I say small, I mean it could be even a hundred million dollar company. I mean, or, or even more. But family-owned companies tend to, you know, not not be as um, dramatic as, um, you know, companies once they're controlled by private equity companies or if they're a public company or something like that. Because private equity companies typically will make the company as profitable as they can by having as few people work there as as possible, as cheaply as possible. Um, You know, and, um, you know, in large public companies um, will, you know, hire and fire based on, you know, stock results. uh, But, you know, a family-owned company, typically the people tend to be called, you know, uh, comfortable, um, you know, and a lot of times they could be in, you know, very, you know, kind of, you know, recession-proof industries or um, or have a product they've been making or something they've been doing for a long time that's, you know, fairly safe. And um, and then the family, because it's a family-owned company, they like to, you know, keep people close to the vest and they don't like, you know, a lot of turnover and um, just they don't have the patience for it. So um, that's one reason I like family-owned companies. I mean, I don't know that they're you know the you know the easiest um but that that's kind of one thing and then the other thing is you know working for um an existing client you know that you were working for in the law firm that you feel comfortable with i mean that can be helpful too and um you know if you're if you're working for someone that's already your client or a firm client you have a good relationship with them 
um, that feels uh, relatively safe, that can be a positive thing. Right. Um, anything else about in-house positions that you think is important to mention? Well, that was a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I just, I think, um, you know, I think that, I mean, the big thing, I, you know, that I think just about in-house is I think that, you know, what, what concerns me is anytime I talk to, um, you know, partners or senior associates, that's kind of like the first place they go. They always say, oh, you know, I don't have any business or I'm not going to be able to bring in business, therefore I need to go in-house. And it just doesn't seem like that's the most realistic thing. I mean, all the things we've talked about so far, like becoming a subject matter expert or, or becoming very good at something. And when you become a subject matter expert, you know, I know so many examples of things, you know, that people have done. I mean, one example I put in, you know, is like being a proofreader, um, really good proofreader or, um, you know, someone that was very folksy and was able to get deals closed and get their side, you know, I mean, there's so many, you know, um, things done in M&A or, um, you know, having an expertise in a certain type of um, ERISA law or something. I mean, all those are strategies really to get your hours up within the firm and to get people to send you work. And instead of, you know, concentrating on um, going in-house, I mean, um, really what you need to be concentrating on is providing as much value as you can and getting as much work from your existing firm and, and then hopefully having people in your existing firm when they start leaving and stuff, um, you know, and going into companies, um, thinking about you and how good you are at something. So they start referring you business. I mean, you know, the whole idea of going in-house is basically saying, I can't provide enough value um, in the law firm environment. Therefore, I'm going to go someplace where they think I'm going to provide value um, and where I think I can provide more value. But you just need to be able to you know, really, you know, if you're thinking about going in-house, I mean, that's like a warning sign. I mean, you need to be, you know, concentrating on, um, you know, what you can do to get more work in your firm and, uh, you know, and get your hours up. Because, you know, firms do, you know, if you're a partner without business, I mean, your job is certainly always at risk. But, you know, a partner with, without business who's billing, you know, 2,800 hours a year or 2,500 hours a year is rarely let go. I mean, they're obviously doing something right if they're getting 2,500 hours. So, um, you know, you need to be, you know, looking at what you can do to get work where you're at, um, you know, as opposed to always looking in-house. And that, that's one reason I don't like in-house, because I think it's a, you know, a sign that, you know, that you're not really looking to fix what's going on with you right where you're at. Right. Okay, so these are some options to kind of keep using your JD, but you also have some options. Well, some of these require JD as well, but taking kind of a left turn from the law firm space into potentially, for example, teaching or working for the government. So right. So what teaching, do you think about that, that option? I think those are great options. And, you know, there's certain types of people um, – that are going to be happy, um, you know, working for the government or teaching, and um, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, you know, um, you know, if you know, there's just, you know, just, you know, people that are very academic may be happier um, in an academic environment than they would be, um, you know, in another type of environment. And um, people that are, one second, uh, you know, are. Um, you know, like to write and um, think and, and talk and debate ideas, you know, typically um, do much better in academic environments. And, you know, and the government is also something that's very stable. I mean, you know, the issue with working for the government or teaching, um, you know, um, and 
the government actually, you know, different types of government um, jobs are stable. I mean, a stable government job would be, you know, working in, in you know, in, a, in an administrative agency that's not dependent upon who the administration is, um, or from a state agency, um, you know, where you can have a long-term career. But, uh, you know, or, or teaching, um, you know, can, can be stable. But, you know, the, the types of people that do that um, may not be happy in a in a law firm environment that's very, very competitive and um, where people are trying to make money. And, um, you know, if you're not motivated by money and you're motivated by, um, you know, ideas or, or teaching and helping the next generation of lawyers or, uh, you know, working inside of the government office um, and, you know, and contributing uh, that way to public service, then those are good. Um, you know, but I, I just, um, I don't see a lot of partners doing that, but I do see some. I mean, um, and, you know, another option would be being a judge or, um, you know, there's all sorts of options. So, you know, if you're not motivated by trying to take over the world, um, you know, inside of a law firm and deal with that, then that, those are all um, good options. Right. Um, and so if that's not a something that you fancy, then you could also, there's the, always the option of basically taking a, just a different type of job that doesn't even require a law degree. So what, what kind of positions have you seen people be successful in if they're transitioning away from anything that's sort of a JD requirement job? Well, what happens to a lot of attorneys is, um, you know, they work, um, they have clients that are businesses and, um, and a lot of times they're smaller, even smaller businesses. And um, you know, one attorney I knew um, growing up, like he was a partner at a big law firm, uh, Miller Canfield in Detroit, and, um, you know, he was offered a job um, running a chain of car washes, even though he was a tax attorney, and, um, you know, and he didn't do it, but, you know, attorneys are, you know, when you stay in a law firm and you're servicing a business and you're you're saving them money or providing them solutions and they can see, you know, and attorneys tend to be very smart and they can see, you know, the owners of the companies can see how your mind's working. They're, you know, a lot of times they want someone like you running their company. Uh, so you can, you know, you can become a CEO. I mean, that's a very common job for attorneys. Uh, you know, you can, um, you know, attorneys be are very good, um, you know, salespeople a lot of times because they learn how to write and speak persuasively or, um, you know, they can do things. I mean, recruiting is an example. Um, you know, I've seen some uh, attorneys become extremely successful real estate agents. And so, you know, the idea is, is, I mean, if you're not happy in the law firm environment and you don't have business, um, you know, there's all sorts of things you can do. And a lot of times the reason you don't have any business um, is simply because you're not passionate about what you're doing. I mean, if you're not passionate about, if you're passionate about something, I mean, if I was looking for an attorney to do anything, I, the, I would search for someone that looked passionate. And the person to me that looked passionate would be the one, you know, whose name kept coming up again and again when I did research into whatever my problem was. And, um, you know, and you know, if I was injured, it might be the person, you know, that um, everyone seemed to recommend or, um, you know, or maybe that I saw all the time on buses, who knows. But, you know, anybody who's passionate, if you're passionate, you typically will attract business. And if you're passionate, you'll even get work inside your own firm. So attorneys need to do something they're passionate about. And, um, you know, another example I've seen um, people become very successful doing is I've seen um, uh, a lot of labor and employment attorneys become, uh, you know, very successful at, uh, you know, going into HR inside of companies. They've done well at that, um, you know, and that's a that's a skill that a lot of them have as well. 
Right. Um, so you can either transition into an existing company or you suggest potentially starting your own business. And I'd like to kind of hear a little bit more about how successful you think, what kind of qualities of an attorney will make them good at sort of starting their own business. I mean, especially if you're kind of an attorney who doesn't have, you know, you haven't kind of already been doing the networking and getting the clients. Um, how successful do you think those types of attorneys are going to be at starting their own companies? And what do you think makes for a successful sort of entrepreneurial spirit within an attorney? Well, most of the time when an attorney starts a company, it's about something, you know, that they already like and they already understand. And so, you know, a lot of attorneys, you know, like most people, but I mean, attorneys seem to be doing it a little bit more than others, always have some sort of, you know, thing that interests them that they're very interested in. Um, you know, maybe involving the practice law or outside of the practice law, and something, you know, for them just clicks. Like they may, you know, they may be very interested in music, or they may be interested. And in, I've seen, you know, attorneys, you know, start businesses involving, you know, I saw one I think start a, a you know, a music store or something, and you know, or they may be interested in food, and then they start restaurants, or they may be interested in. Um, I saw one, another one start a chain of yoga studios um, after leaving a, a big New York firm. You know, so if, if you're interested in something, anything you have passion about uh, is a good thing to start a business about. I mean, I started a business in this because, um, you know, I, I just, you know, when I was um, practicing law, I was unhappy, and I started talking to um, recruiters, and um, I saw that, you know, most of them had no idea what they were doing, and um, and I was passionate about my career career and you know I'd worked really hard to get into law school and so forth and um and to get into a good firm and so I thought this is insane you know why would you know why would anybody you know be relying on people that don't understand the market um you know and and aren't interested in them to to you know guide their career because you know back then it, there were no job boards um you know there were no um you know the recruiters that were out there were the only source of jobs, and they didn't even know how to position people, and the whole thing just seemed crazy. So um, I became passionate about that. But anytime you're passionate about something, um, you know, you tend to be, um, much, you tend to do much better than people um, that are not. So that's my advice about starting a business. Um, the last thing you should try to do is start a business because you just think you can make a lot of money. A lot of times that's the reason that attorneys get into trouble in the first place because they go to law school because they want to make a lot of money. And that's like the dumbest thing in the world. I mean, anytime you're doing something only for money, um, you're probably going to fail because, you know, someone that's interested in more than money is going to be able to do much better than you. And, um, you know, people that are interested in, in doing things because they love them um, are going to see a lot more and it's going to be fun for them going into work and um, you know so that's really um, my kind of advice I think that I would give um, you know about what kind of business to start anything that's interesting to you yeah and I like that idea that sort of <clears throat> a lot of attorneys don't have a creative outlet and and some attorneys really do have a creative side to them that really doesn't flourish under the general like law firm model. Um, right. You kind of mentioned yourself, like creativity is not often valued. You're kind of working within a stricture that doesn't really um, allow for that, and you kind of have to follow a mold. Um, so I, you know, it's always kind of surprising me because you kind of think of attorneys as like very right-brained people. And But I know in my own experience, there's so many attorneys who have a very deep, passionate, creative side um, that just, 
is kind of languishing in, in that in that uh, law firm atmosphere. So certainly if you find yourself as that kind of a person um, and you're kind of missing a part of your personality in your work, that, that could also be a good a good motivator to start your own business and something you are passionate about, like you said. Yeah, and one other thing too I think is really important is, I mean, attorneys do very well, um, you know, in business, I think, because, um, you know, and starting their own businesses because, you know, it's, you know, starting your own business is a very kind of solitary um, function a lot of, for a lot of people, and um, and you need and and so is practicing law. And but the pressures of practicing law, uh, you know, are, are pretty extreme. And so you know, and so is starting a company. And um, you know, and then you know, the and attorneys tend to be very competitive. I mean, that's why they, you know, they don't you know study very hard and get great grades and try to go to the best schools and work in the best firms or nothing. So, you know, business is very competitive too. So if you bring that spirit into business, you can do much better than other people. And you also like look at details, like, you know, the idea of being very concerned about details and things, you know, is, is also something that separates good businesses from others. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so I think finally the, the sort of the third bucket of things that you can do, and this is the most obvious, but of course the most difficult but this option would be to actually start generating business. So why don't we close this conversation with you, your um, your thoughts on kind of what you need to be doing to actually get into a mode where you're starting to generate business for your firm. Sure. And, um, you know, I think that the business is the most obvious, um, you know, uh, thing. I mean, um, you know, one other thing, too, I just wanted to mention real briefly, you know, um, you know, I think there's a, you know, if you're a law firm partner without business, you know, you, you also, um, you know, I think, well, I think we did cover it. I mean, just trying to find a, um, you know, a firm that's interested in you, um, you know, and doing a search. But, um, you know, I just wanted to say that, you know, before we kind of talked about finding the business, there's always going to be a firm. If you have a, if you have a skill and you're coming from a prestigious firm, there's always going to be a firm that's interested in you. And I think one of the problems with a lot of partners is they, They'll, um, they'll limit themselves geographically or they won't look at enough law firms if they're doing a search. And so the more law firms you look at and the more geographic areas you look at as a partner, generally the better off you're going to do in your search. So I thought it was important just to bring that up because I think a lot of people, um, you know, prematurely give up on their searches, um, you know, or don't do a search you know, and they feel like all is lost, like they have to do something else. And you don't always have to do something else. I mean, if you do... You know, I've plenty of um, I, I, you know, um, you know, partners I know have been able to find jobs without business by doing, you know, very serious and um, you know, extensive searches, looking at a lot of firms all over the country, and not just their area, or even, you know, looking at firms in their region. I mean, in Los Angeles, I mean, there's over you know a couple thousand law firms, for example, um, you know, that that could potentially be places that would hire you. So, but yeah, so starting, I mean, you're saying doing the most obvious would be getting business and so you can kind of solve the problem. Right, right. So, I yeah. mean, that's obviously, you know, the hardest part, I, I think, for most uh, attorneys, especially at big firms. But what are sort of some of the just general steps that you think that people just kind of start doing, getting out there in the field, kind of networking to, to start generating business? Like, what are some steps to take? Well, so the first thing that most attorneys need to do is they need to, um, you know, the the most obvious thing you can do is is find a way um, to let people know you're there. So, 
you know, clients are, you know, the potential clients are always searching for business. I mean, um, you know, they're looking for, um, I mean, they're always searching for attorneys. And so, you know, attorneys, uh, you know, the ones that get the most business are always, you know, the ones that are seen. And in order to be seen, you know, the classic thing that attorneys do is they go to, you know, um, they'll go to, you know, business networking groups, they'll go to the, you know, in small towns and stuff, they'll go to the Kiwanis Club, they'll they'll join various groups where um, people that are likely to have um, work will see them and they'll know that these, this is an attorney. And that's just something that you should be doing as a matter of course. I mean, you know, you need to get out there and be meeting people. Now, in the net, in kind of this age where people, you know, are writing blogs and there's social networking sites and there's um, all these other sorts of things, another way to be seen is to be out there, um, you know, um, you know, doing posts on Twitter, doing, you know, on LinkedIn, um, doing posts, um, you know, to the extent you can, um, you know, going out and, um, you know, writing articles about um, various issues and, and, and talking and, and being seen. But, you know, a lot of getting business is going to depend, um, you know, based on the mark, kind of market you're in. So if you are in, um, you know, in a type of firm you're in. So if you're in a large law firm, you know, the only way for you to really bring in business is going to be to position yourself as a specialist in something because large law firms um, in large markets only hire specialists, whereas um, in, in the clients tend to come in and only use specialists. And the reason for that is fairly simple. Uh, large law firms have very high billing rates in large cities, and they justify that based on um, the fact that, um, you know, they have specialists that are more efficient with their time, and therefore you're getting a better deal. So if you can um, position yourself as a specialist in a large law firm, it would be a specialist in, you know, something, um, you know, um, unusual. So, you know, I had a case a couple of years ago that involved a um, a California statute um, that um, had, you know, the very few people understood, and um, the only attorney I was able to find um, that understood it was someone um, that was, you know, literally in Sacramento and, um, you know, and very far away from me. And the only reason I knew he understood it was because he'd written um, a couple of articles about that statute. And, um, you know, and the, the work that he ended up, you know, um, you know, that I ended up speaking to him about, I mean, ended up generating, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees. And, um, and I would have used him, uh, and I, I, I should have, if not the fact that he had to, you know, would have had to travel from Sacramento. But I certainly interviewed him and met him in person and spent time with him. And he was the person that I saw in the market. And so anytime you can develop um, something as a specialist and look like you're enthusiastic about it and write about it and talk about it, um, and if you're with a large law firm, um, you know, and, and you can do it, whether or not it's doing a certain type of transaction or whatever, and be seen, then you're more likely um, to be able to generate business, especially if you have the partner title, which is, you know, talks about. And um, and then in smaller markets, it tends to be about, you know, people tend to be generalists. So, you know, if you go to like Palo Alto um, and you want to hire a patent attorney, you know, you'll be able to hire someone that does nothing but patent law, and they do it in, you know, a certain segment of biotech, and um, it'll be no problem. But if you're in Cleveland, um, you'll hire an attorney that may do patent law, but they'll also do IP litigation and maybe trademark law, and they're happy to do, um, 
you know, patents involving electrical engineering, just as they're happy to do um, patents involving biotech-related issues. So the larger the market, the more specialized the work's going to be. So, you know, attorneys, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I've written about generating business, but the biggest thing to generating business, the only thing to really recommend is you need to be seen, and you need to be seen, and everyone needs to know you're there. And um, the worst thing that attorneys can do is, like, sit in their desk um, or sit at their desk, um, do their job, and go home every day, um, you know, and then not do anything. I mean, the best attorneys, um, the ones that I know that have generated a lot of business are typically going out. I mean, you know, several nights a week, I mean, two or three nights a week. I mean, they'll be going out with existing clients and keeping them happy, you know, at least one night a week, and then they'll be going out a couple nights a week where they're meeting people. They'll be going to um, net networking events, um, you know, where um, it's possible for them to meet people. Um, and they're just constantly being seen. They're writing, they're doing all sorts of things, and they're enthusiastic. So, you know, the larger market, I mean, you want to be specialist, and you want to be seen. Um, you know, smaller market, you can be a generalist, but you need to be seen. So that's, um, those are some of the things that I recommend. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, Harrison, do you have any final comments on this uh, this subject? Um, no, I mean, those are, those are kind of my, um, you know, main, um, you know, thoughts. I mean, the one thing that I um, really just want to make sure that I emphasize is that, you know, in a lot of cases, in someone that may be listening um, to this this podcast, and then they may be, um, you know, in a situation where um, they feel that the, their, the situation is hopeless, or they feel, um, you know, they may be losing their job because they don't have any business. And the the most important thing you can do um, is, you know, and it, and it's an issue for a lot of attorneys of, um, you know, their their pride for whatever reason. But you need to do an all out search because. You know, especially if you're at a large law firm, there's going to be someone out there that needs your skills. And, um, you know, whether it's an in-house company or a law firm, um, law firms um, are businesses. And so if you're capable of sitting down at a desk and you understand, you know, whatever your practice area is and you're capable of working, um, uh, you know, then there's going to be someone that's interested in hiring you. I mean, I've seen, you know, I know partners, for example, in their 80s that are still working, um, you know, and I know I've seen partners in their late 70s, um, you know, with multi-million dollar books of business, um, you know, and, you know, so you, if you don't have any work and you do want to, and you're sold on the law firm model, and, um, you know, which is going to be much easier for you, especially if you're a litigator, then uh, the most important thing to do really is to, um you know, uh, you know, to do like an, an aggressive search, and that means you know looking at all the possible firms in your market, and then it also may mean looking at other markets, especially if you're a specialist. You know, most patent attorneys that want to do national searches can get jobs. Most, you know, real estate attorneys or environmental attorneys or um, corporate attorneys or <coughs> you know specialist litigators. Um, I mean, I have one environmental attorney I'm working with right now that has zero business and. Um, you know, has been out of law school for 20 plus years, and I mean, and and, and is working at a major law firm, and um, decided to look nationally because the attorney, um, you know, didn't believe that um, they were marketable, and is I mean, has at least 10 interviews um, with you know firms in good markets, um, you know, because they allowed themselves to do a national search. None of those firms are in the market that attorney is in, 
um, because if they hadn't done a national search, um, they wouldn't get interviews. So you need to, um, you know, really, you know, if you don't do it yourself, then you need to find a recruiter that's got some guts and can get it, get you out there and do a search because the it's never going to be hopeless. Um, you know, there's always plenty of opportunities. That's some great advice, Harrison. Thank you so much, and thank you for joining us, and we'll be back next week with another article to discuss. Thank you.